I'm Ann Hanley from Marketing Prof. Hi, I'm Joe Rowley. This is Joe Polizzi, and you're listening to the Craft of Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm Seth Price, and you're listening to The Craft of Marketing, where I go behind the scenes with professionals who are exceptional at their craft to discover the insights that they use to succeed at marketing. If there was ever one person to call the ultimate evangelist for content marketing, it would have to be Joe Polizzi. Some call him the godfather of content. Back in 2007, he founded Content Marketing Institute, to evangelize and educate on content marketing's ability to drive business results. Today, CMI is one of the most well-known resources on the subject. I caught up with Joe to chat about everything marketing, from what it takes to build a media company, to launching a successful conference, think Content Marketing World, to the thesis of his latest book, Content Inc., where he illustrates the consistent success of companies that focus on building a community first before trying to sell a product or service. You won't want to miss this episode. The tips, hacks, and strategies that professionals share with each other but rarely talk about in public. This episode is sponsored by Playster, the number one platform for powering real estate listings on the web. For more information, go to playster.com. Joe, welcome. So great to chat with you. Um, I would love it if we could start off by you telling the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Wow. I've been in uh, what we call the content marketing industry now for over 15 years. I started in publishing at a uh, actually a very large business-to-business publisher called Penton Media. And I was thrown in there at 2000. And uh, because of a series of unfortunate events, uh, Penton went downhill pretty quickly, um, lost the, the portions of their trade show business. Of course, a lot of people weren't buying advertising. We saw the Great Recession as we were going through. And I ended up going from, I think there were eight people between myself and the CEO. And 18 months later, I was reporting to the CEO. I think it's because I was cheap. I mean, I was the <laughs> cheap, cheapest one. Anyways, it gave me an opportunity to then run a department that had a lot of potential. It was Penton Custom Media. So we focused on selling content marketing projects to large business-to-business advertisers. So they were trying to figure out how to tell their story and we would help them with webinars and custom magazines and newsletters and blog posts ultimately and that kind of stuff. And did that from 2000 to 2007. We grew rapidly. Uh, It was actually, it was interesting. We were the only group for a while that was actually growing at Penton before they really turned it around. But I always had this itch, Seth, to start my own gig. And in 2007, uh, you know, decided to uh, put my shingle out and created what is now the Content Marketing Institute. And ever since 2007, I've been out there writing books, uh, speaking, doing podcasts, everything possible (laughs) to talk to marketers on how they can use this art and science of content marketing and uh, and think about it as is a real key business process in their organization and and we've done a lot of work it's been great Seth but we have a long long way to go yeah definitely i've been a fan of your work for a long time i think my real aha moment came after reading i think it was your second book managing content marketing that's right yeah, uh, with you. robert rose and you know, while many of the concepts are still really relevant, you decided to follow that up with Epic Content Marketing and now Content Inc. Tell me about the evolution of content as you see it. Well, you know, it's interesting. Right now, it's just fresh in my mind. It's um, it's such an old discipline. And I've been doing a lot of recent research on very old case studies regarding content marketing. So really old magazines and old newsletters. Two days ago, I stumbled upon Sherwin-Williams newsletter and magazine. They created a newsletter in 1896 and a magazine to their customers in 1910. Crazy. I know, isn't that crazy? And by the way, there's more and more of these we're finding all the time. Of course, we talk about it all the time on the This Old Marketing podcast, which is why it's called This Old Marketing. We talk about content marketing as, I think, the original way 
we used to market was through the elements of content marketing. We didn't, we didn't go and advertise in somebody else's channel. We basically said, oh, how can we help our customers? Uh, how can we help our audience? We're trying to build this audience, be more useful. And if they know, like, and trust us, they, they're more willing to buy from us. It's a very simple concept. And we lost our way in the 50s, 60s, 70s, rightfully so, because advertising was king. Well, you know what? Advertising's not king anymore. Yeah. But what we haven't seen, and this is what I'm, this is what we're starting to see. We are seeing a correction in the market right now where we have so much that has gone on and paid. You had, there had to be a time, especially since there's no barriers to entry for publishing anymore, since consumers are completely in control. We're finally seeing this correction of paid media come back to, I think it's, I call it its rightful place, but just a better, I think a better way of marketing in a lot of cases in content marketing. And it doesn't like, I'm not saying you have to do hundred percent content marketing. I'm saying we have to do more than, you know, the small percentage we're doing and really focus on creating value for our customers that does, lies outside our products and services, yeah. which is a very hard thing, by the way, as you know, for companies to get. Because the majority of marketing spend that we have, advertising, marketing, sales support, it's all around features, benefits, products, services that we offer. It's very rarely about, hey, let's get up today and really help our audience do something with their life or get a better job or whatever the case is. And so long story short, we're still very, very beginning of this process. We're starting to see a lot of amazing case studies, but still this is, this is going to be an interesting time over the next 18 months because a lot of, there's a lot of people that tried content or say they tried content marketing and it failed. So they're saying, oh, it doesn't work or there's too much clutter. But at the same time, you're seeing companies like Marriott go all in, put their flag in the ground and say, hey, we are going to be the leading informational uh, resource around travel and tourism. We're going to take that bet. We're going to restructure our marketing department around that. And I think because of that executive commitment and that the champions they have in there, they're going to be successful. So it's just interesting to see brands out there saying, yeah, yeah we, we believe in order to be successful, we need to be relevant to our customers every day. And it has to live outside the products and services we sell. It seems like there are more and more organizations, be it large and small, that get it to the fullest extent and are and are really creating media companies now. No longer just, hey, they just blog. You know, you think of, uh, you know, Brian Clark at Copy Blogger. That is such an amazing story. And I think you highlight that in your book um, about someone who started by blogging, didn't really have a business, built this amazing audience. And now his, imp- I'll call it an empire. He may not yeah. say this. No, it's His true. media empire is reaches really far and wide. I mean, it's a software company, it's events company, it's a, you know, education company. Um, you know, I look at what you've done with Content Marketing Institute and I think about like, what was that moment that you decided to, you know, go all in, in this particular topic? Because had you been wrong, like had you chose the wrong term, it could have gone really south. Oh man, you had a lot of compelling thoughts in that uh, in that question. First of all, uh, everybody should check out Copy Blogger as an example. I love the fact that he blogged for 19 months without monetizing it, and oh. now he's one of the faster growing software as a service companies because he created an asset long term. Yeah, every company today is a media company, whether they they believe it or not. Now, to your last question, it was April 26, 2007. So I just started the company. And I created a blog post that says, why content marketing? I mean, I basically, that was my little mission statement. I said, hey, look, gang, I know you're all calling this all kinds of different things. You're calling it branded content, custom media, custom publishing, custom content. I'm going to tell you right now, here's the term we're going to use. Here's why I believe it. And from that moment on, I never said, well, I never used change terminology. I, yeah. I just almost like woke up and said, hey, we're calling it content marketing. I don't care what any of y'all say. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I don't know how it just worked. I think we just kept pushing and pushing and creating amazing uh, or trying to create amazing, relevant information. And it seemed to stick. The The reason now I just didn't make that on a whim. The reason why is when I started selling at Penton Media in 2007. So I went from an account manager to to mostly a sales role, business development role in 2001. I used to go into these chief marketing officers 
And they, you know, say, hey, I want to talk about custom publishing. Well, they're already sleeping by the time you get into their <laughs> office. Uh, let's let's talk about custom content. What's custom? Con- what's custom media? Branded content. All oh, branded content. That's all fluffy. They, they don't even know what I was talking about. But when I said content marketing, you know, they immediately sat up in their seats. And this is just a thing that you learn about marketers. We're very simple people. And if you just call it what it is, yeah. it resonates a lot more. So if you're going to do anything with marketers, you got to call it marketing. Why? Why did search marketing take off? Yeah. Because we called it marketing, something yeah. marketing. Why does direct marketing take off? Well, because it's marketing. So if you call it something else, that's why social media actually has been very tough for a lot of people because, and then Michael Stelzner's done a good job saying, no, it's social media marketing. Yeah is really important because you just can't get their attention. That was the one term, Seth, that these CMOs would sit up in their seats and I could actually have their attention. And I said, oh, there's something to this. There might be an opportunity here. And I just kept trying it over and over and over again, trial and error, and realized that that's the term. And then as I went through our own content marketing strategy, I said, well, the, you know, this is this is the term we're going to use, very similar to what HubSpot did with inbound marketing. Yeah. Of course, they've been very successful around that term as well. You, um, you know, when you started out, how many folks did you start with? Me. <laughs> awesome. One. <laughs> One and a half, it was just me. And and did you have, did you sort of map out a business plan or were you just, hey, I'm, I'm going to, I know generally what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to start at it. Like what was the... What was the thought process? Yeah, so it's interesting. So so this is the start of the book. So the, the new book, Content Inc., this is the whole first part of it because I talk about, okay, I, I had this idea for this amazing product, which was called Junta 42, which was this, basically it's, it was eHarmony for content marketing Got or it. match.com for content marketing. That's what it was. We were targeting agencies who wanted to get matched up with brands interested in doing content creation, distribution, whatever the case was. I thought it was a brilliant idea as all entrepreneurs do. They think their ideas are just the most amazing in the world. So I go out there, but I realized I, I couldn't, I, I left my job at Penton so quickly, I didn't really have time to invest in the product. So yeah. as soon as I was, so basically I left Penton and I started right away on the idea because that's what I wanted to do. But it, my uh, developer said, that I was working with said, look, I can't get anything up and running for nine months. That's really going to work. Yeah. Which, which of course makes sense. But at the time I'm thinking, Hey, just, you know, throw something up there. And, but of course it takes yeah. a lot of time <laughs> to do an online uh, digital product. Well, and I'm like, well, well, now what am I going to do? Well, I said, well, I'll just start building an audience. So every about three times a week, I started to blog and create this audience ongoing. Now, I'll fast forward. Junta 42, by the way, did very well. We matched. We officially launched in 08. We matched up about a thousand uh, projects. We had some big brands, really big brands on there that, that we matched up million, multi-million dollar projects. Not for us, by the way. For the at, for the agency, they got the million million dollar projects. We got a couple thousand bucks off each one of those, and the financial model simply wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, and here's the pro- the ultimate problem was is we were targeting an audience of enterprise marketers, and we were getting that audience, and they were subscribing to the blog, but yet only about uh, be be lucky if one percent of those at any one time were actually ready to start a content marketing project and use our service. Yeah. That's not very good. I mean, we needed to do better. And I was so focused and in love with our product, I didn't realize that. Oh my gosh, all this time over that three year period from '07 to '10, I'm getting emails on Joe. Can you come speak, Joe? We we need training, Joe. We need major education on content marketing. Can you come in? And I'm selling this. A side product that's not doing well. And at the same time, I'm completely ignoring my audience yeah. on what they really needed. And so it was the end of 09. So this is long story short. This is when I went all in on that whole th- on CMI. End of 09. And one of our biggest, a- the biggest project we ever put together, the agency that got that product didn't re-up for their subscription. And I'm like, it was an annual subscription for the agency. And I'm like, well, there must be some mistake because I just landed them a million dollar deal. So that they, it can't be the ROI on that is unbelievable. I called the CEO up. I said, Hey, you haven't re-upped. Is everything okay? The credit card not go through. What's the deal? And she said, Joe, I want to get, uh, I can get better ROI somewhere else. And I said, 
I said, if you can tell me what, cause I'll use it Yeah, because I don't, I don't know how to get better ROI for you. She said, basically we don't value the service is basically what she was saying in a nice way. And I, I hung up the phone and I went outside and I felt completely sorry for myself. And I said, Oh my God, this thing is not going to work. I, yeah. I've got to go back and get a real job. This is horrible. What am I going to do? So after about two weeks of feeling sorry for myself, I actually woke up and started listening to my, to the audience we'd been building. And I said, Oh my gosh, the model I'm used to the, the wrong business model here. The model is we should become the media company for content marketing because that's where the pain point is. They need education and training and they need events to get together and they need to commiserate together. And I knew that model because I've been, in, I grew up in the publishing industry. And so that's when CMI, the, as the idea was born on that day that I stopped feeling sorry for myself, I said, we're going to, we're going to create the largest destination, the leading destination for content marketing on the web, the leading event for content marketing and the leading magazine CMI was launched in May of 2010. We launched the magazine in January of 11. And the first content marketing world was September of 2011. And that's, and that was it. That's crazy. It's completely crazy because I, I was within five minutes of not even launching Content Marketing Institute. And I cannot believe where I would be today if I didn't have a, you know, I just had a tinge enough patience to yeah. hang with it for a little bit. Yeah. When you, uh, when you were doing this in the early days, what did you do to keep the lights on? Anything and everything that legal uh, <laughs> that I could possibly possibly do. I did a ton of consulting. By the way, I'm I don't get me wrong. I love our clients, and but I'm not consulting. Isn't my favorite thing. Yeah. That's why Robert Rose leads our consulting practice, and he loves it. Yeah, and I'm so happy he does because I'm not the consulting guy. But I did a lot of it. I did a lot of going into traditional media companies that wanted to launch content marketing agencies. Uh, I went into small, medium size, the largest of the large uh, brands on the planet and went in there and analyzed what they were doing and tried to help them and work with them on a daily basis. I did some writing, paid writing. I did paid white papers. I did everything possible to keep the lights on because in 2009 was a terrible year for us. I mean, that was the year where we were losing money like crazy because I was investing all this stuff into the online product. We weren't getting the return. And so luckily we did start because I'd been saving up for, you know, a few years. I mean, I knew I wanted to launch a business at some point, didn't know what it was going to be. So it did put a lot in savings. So, you know, like a lot of startups, I had the credit card debt, went into savings and didn't quite dump my 401k account, but I almost did. Yeah. So that's as close as I got to, to ever, to, <laughs> to anything, but, but luckily hung on for as long as possible. And then it really started mid, mid part of 2010 is when we started to drive revenues for CMI, thankfully. And I said, Hey, maybe I don't have to go work for somebody else. That's fantastic. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, I am so impressed with about what you do is you don't rest on your laurels. Like, you know, you, you wrote the first book and you wrote the second book. And now it seems like you've done that almost every two years in addition to, you know, doubling down on the speaking and the writing and the events, is that a strategy, especially the book part, is that a strategy that you had planned or you saw the benefit of it after it happened and you were like, Hey, I just have to keep doing this. I have a, a moleskin right here next to me. Yeah. It's actually the one that I'm using right now is a Lego branded moleskin, <laughs> which is possibly, I know, the, possibly I, the greatest moleskin ever developed. It's, you can actually put a Lego and attach it to the top of the moleskin. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so I, and I, in that, um, I have my goals and I review my goals regularly. And one of those goals is, and this is back from you know 2007, it said, I want to write a book every two years. It says it right there. So what happened that, so knowing that even in 2013, I finished Epic Content Marketing, I immediately started to think, well, what's the next book? Yeah. Because you have to. I mean, yeah. but this is my job. So, I mean, it's different. In from 2007, 2008, 2009, I was the only one blogging. I was the only one creating content. I was the only one doing interviews. I was the only one doing speaking for Content Marketing Institute because, well, it wasn't even called that yet, but it was just me. And now we've got 28 amazing people. My job is not to do any of that. My job is I do part-time 
writing, but I'm the evangelist, right? I'm doing interviews like this with you. I'm writing books. I'm doing podcasts. I'm creating content in every which way I possibly can to get the word out about this discipline called content marketing. So, but, but to your point, it's a goal. I mean, yeah. it's a significant goal. I know the benefits it gets. I don't, I don't want to, I want to say this the right way. It gets a lot easier every book that you write. Yeah. Cause you've built an audience as, as you, as you know, this, as you build an audience, even with your podcast, as you're growing your podcast, it gets the next podcast is a little bit easier because you have more of an audience than you did the previous episode. Yeah. The same thing happens with the book, like content Inc, which I don't know when we're distributing this, but it comes out on um, September 8th. We're already seeing pre-orders are double, triple what they were for Epic content marketing. Yeah. Now I'm assuming if I do this thing right and Content Inc. is a good book and people like it, when I come out with a book in two years from now, it'll double, triple what this one did. It's just building that. All, that's the hard part. Of it, and a lot yes. of people forget that 10% is writing the book. Yeah. 90% is marketing the book, but you're marketing all year long in everything you do. You're no, you don't just market a book. You're marketing how you help people. I help people through content marketing. And then a book is just part of that strategy. Your book launch process has become much more savvy. I mean, when I think about the Content Inc. podcast, you've been blogging about it. I love the slide share you created highlighting the case studies. Walk me through the, the, the current launch strategy. The current, I'm actually really excited. to. So I want to see how book sales do the first two weeks because I have a meeting with a, with a very large, pu- I'm speaking at a, at a large published book publisher, not my book publisher, yeah. but another book publisher. And I'm, I'm going to go through that exactly what you asked the strategy for launching content Inc. And I'm so curious because I don't know if anyone, it's probably been done. I just don't know who's done it. We've given a, the entire book is already available. It's yeah. just available in, in 80 of my podcasts on content Inc. I've yeah. literally read portions of the book. And if you stitched it all together, like you don't have to buy the audio book for content Inc. You could just listen to all the podcasts because there's the book. It's right there. Now the audio, the, the audio book for content Inc. That'll have it all in, in, in a row, you know, it's all in organized in a certain way. It makes a lot more sense. And people like that, but we've given it all away and built an audience ahead of time for that. So that's been interesting. I haven't done that before. And we built a pretty good audience around that. So it's going to be interesting to see as we launch, does that then make people want to buy more books or not? And, and I, I, I'm going to bet on it's going to be right. I think that at least it looks that way, that that was a good decision. I, I do a ton of free eBooks. Like you, we did the 20 examples, one from the book. Um, it's interesting. I, we just have a little different take. And this is the whole idea of content marketing. You just give so much value away for free that people are more drawn to you. They know, like, and trust you more, and they're going to buy more from you. So we're literally, the entire book is available in one shape or another already in multiple blog posts, podcasts, whatever. We've been building an audience. So I've, I think we're at like 143,000 is our audience for CMI. So of course they'll get an email on it. Um, three chapters, interviews, anything that we can possibly do. So it's it's interesting that it's just the fact that when I talk to other authors and I tell them, well, I've already given the book away for free in six or seven different ways. They're like, what are you? No, you can't do that. You have to pack. I'm like, Hey, I tell you this stuff works. Yeah, absolutely works. You just, it's so, so protective. It's just like when I talk to, I do a lot of speeches for journalists. Yeah. And when I tell them about marketing their own career and I'm like, you know what, you're going to have to create, free, you know, write free content and, and create your own audience. And that's how you'll really create your own platform and be successful. And they're like, we're not going to write for free. We're not going to write. I said, uh, it's just like, I shake my head. I'm like, you have, this is how you build a platform. You could build your own media company if you decided to, but they, it's, it's this whole idea. It's this very different idea for a lot of people. I think more people are getting it as you know, as you and I get it, but it's still a long process because it's a very non-traditional way to do it. Yeah. I think, um, Ryan holiday did a great job with his book launch. Uh, trust me, I'm lying. And you remember when Gary did the, 
jab, 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 right hook mm-hmm. book. I think he did a great job with his launch. I mean, promotion for six or eight months before the thing came out, some chapters, et cetera. Um, assuming an author is writing something worth reading, would you recommend really investing a ton of time into the launch process today? Well, it, so for anybody thinking about writing a book, the launch process starts today. Yeah. Starts as soon as you possibly can, but it's not necessarily, I guess I, I want to think people to think beyond the book. Yes, of course there's a book, but you don't make money on the book. You make money off of the platform. So you got to create the platform. So what is that? Is that, uh, does that look like a website? Is it a podcast like you have Seth? Is it what, you know, what, what is that platform? Is it a podcast like John Lee Dumas? Like John Lee Dumas is interesting with entrepreneur on fire, right? Because he could launch he, he's going to stick a book in there somewhere and it's going to be really successful because he's built an audience yeah, an of hundreds audience. of thousands of people, right? Yeah. The same thing for Brian Clark. Now, Brian Clark, it's funny because Brian, I was talking with Brian the other day, Brian Clark, so founder of, of Copy Blogger, he wrote the forward to the new book and he's like, this is the book that I always wanted to write. I said, well, just pretend it's your book and go promote it that way and everybody will be happy. <laughs> but he could launch, he could have his book ready in, in a few months and It'll be successful because of the fact that he has 200,000 plus email subscribers that know, like, and trust him. So I think that's what I would say is don't think about the tactic. A book is a tactic. Think about the overarching strategy. A book can be part of that. A podcast can be part of that. But figure out what your mission statement is. Who is your audience? Who is that really specific audience? Who, and what is that content niche that you're trying to add value to that nobody else can add value to like you can? And as we talk, obviously, go through the six steps in the book and it kind of lays it all out. But the idea is you have to ask yourself, where in the world can I really be the leading expert in the world at something? It's a very hard question to answer. And most content creators today don't do this. They create uh, Me Too content. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you can find content like this anywhere. That's why I was, that's why even with the book, it's like, well, I did epic content marketing, but I can't do another epic content marketing. There's so many content marketing books right now. What do I, I have to do something that's very different. So we went in this whole way that says, Hey, you can build an audience first, then launch a product. So we're, so we're targeting startups and entrepreneurs and having them rethink the entire process of, of launching a startup business. So that's, I'm hoping that that's a niche enough where we can position ourselves as a leading expert. I think we can. And I don't think anybody's really talking about it in quite that way. And that's where a lot of people get lost. You, um, you've talked a lot about, you know, list building or building your audience. Is it really subscribers in your mind? Like sort of tactically, not the, you know, like I agree with you a hundred percent. You need to focus on how do you differentiate from you know, what's important in the, in the target audience. Mm -hmm. But once you do that, is it about email subscribers or subscribers in some way? It's about building an audience. Yep. Uh, It's absolutely everything. If the one regret that I have, Seth, is in starting the business and when we were building the audience in 07, 08, 09, is that I didn't have a focus enough on email. Yeah. I lost so much opportunity. No, it's not that I keep myself up at night and say, oh, darn. I mean, you can't go back. But if I was going back to my startup self, I would have said, boy, do everything you can to build your email subscriber list. Um, our 98% of our revenues come in one way or another through our email subscribers. Crazy. Uh, it drives the entire business. You ask the same question to Brian Clark. He'll say the same thing. Yes, the same thing to ask Rand Fishkin from Moz, ask Michael Stelzner. Uh, and you know, what's interesting too is as we did these case studies in the book and I, because when you think about email subscribers, people are like email, really? You know, what about like YouTube subscribers? Well, look at Smosh is a really good example. I don't know if you're familiar with Smosh, but they're, you know, YouTube sensation hit, my my oldest son watches them all the time on YouTube. It's it's interesting content. It's definitely for a thirteen year old, not for for you or I necessarily. But it's great. It's really they do a great job. But they're a media company. Yeah. But if you look at how they're promoting themselves, they get people. They built twenty million plus subscribers on YouTube. But look at the calls to action. Every call to action they have goes to a website they can own that takes them to some kind of value added sign up for my email. 
Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, it's just people don't realize that there's like, hey, you, you can build your platform anywhere. And you know what? You absolutely can. You can do it on Pinterest and Instagram and Vine. And I've got we've got examples in the book on all those. But in almost every case, they're going to their own where they control the control the subscriber relationship. I don't say you can't control your audience, but at least you have more control over that subscription. Because let's say I build my platform on on Facebook. Well, let's say I've got a hundred thousand fans on Facebook. Well, you know what? You know who owns those connections? Not you. Facebook does. Yeah. And I I have to be prepared that tomorrow morning that might not exist. And that's how I look at social media. I look at social media as something temporary, as something that we can leverage for right now, but it's not a long-term asset for the organization because it's owned by Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and they can take away that access that you have tomorrow. They can make it pay to play tomorrow. And by the way, some people will make the case that Facebook's already done that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's Every, yeah, everything is focused on email. I think the purpose of a website from a content marketing standpoint is probably to attract or keep subscribers. And that's yeah. what we think about all the time at CMI. There's been quite a few meteoric examples of, you know, media companies in the last few years, BuzzFeed, Vice, Vox Media, the all. And I think you've written about a few of them. Mm-hmm. What does it take to do that? or to do what you've done in today's market? Like if I were to, I mean, clearly I couldn't do Content Marketing Inc. Um, or Content Marketing Institute, but it seems like, like I know Mark Schaefer would say, hey, content shock, and I sort of still see that as an opportunity. But when I think about building a tribe that's really substantial, it seems somewhat daunting. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I love Mark and, and the whole content shock thing. But if you really read that article, what he will tell you is that targeted, valuable, relevant, compelling content is the only way to go. Yeah. And, but that's no different than it's ever been. Yeah. Now, yes. Is there more competition uh, than ever before? Well, depending on how you look at it. Yes. There's more people challenging our audience's time for attention. Yes, it's absolutely true, but it's funny. We were working on the doc. We're doing a documentary that we're launching a content marketing world for, for the industry called the story of content. And what's interesting is Kirk Shavitz, who's a CEO of story worldwide. He has a great quote that says, everybody talks about this, but there are still people that haven't gotten around to reading the Bible. And it's been around for 2000 plus years. So if you think about it, people always engage in the content they want to engage in. They only have 24 hours in a day. So it really hasn't changed any. any. It, cutting through the clutter is a little bit harder. Sure. But people still have the same amount of attention they always had. You always have the time in the day. So that's the, a great I, I have to inter, yeah, go ahead. interject. Here. That's a great quote. And that's a great analogy. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's like for some reason, people thought that because there's so much more content, like we have more time to do. No, people will choose what I love. See, I have a problem with this whole thing called snackable content. Yeah. Yeah. I get the whole thing about snackable content, but do you realize that people are still engaging maybe more than ever before and binging on long form content? Yeah. I mean, the People will take the time for things they see value in, regardless of how long they are. Yeah. Like we just created a documentary that's 45 minutes long. Do I think that it's not going to work because it's not a two to three minute video? No, it's, I think it's going to be fine. If it's valuable, if it's entertaining, people will engage in it. It's not, that's not an issue. People still go to movies more than ever before. You could say this is really the golden age of television right now with whatever happens with Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and all that stuff. So I think there's a greater opportunity today than ever before. That's why there's more entrepreneurs than ever before, because there's no barriers to entry today. We can all publish. We can access audiences today so much easier than before. I mean, shoot, when I started in 2000, you were spending three, four hundred thousand dollars just for a content management system. You know how hard it was to build an audience? Yeah, today, that's crazy. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. I mean, just your time and resources for the most part. That's it. So if you think about that from an opportunity standpoint, and then that's what the that's what the book's all about. To your answer your question, is there's we found out we we interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of these really remarkable successful businesses that basically had no resources, were one person, and they figured out how to be, make a success and build an audience. And we broke it down and reverse engineered it, Seth, and we realized that oh my gosh, every one of these amazing examples followed these six steps 
these six simple steps. It's not rocket science. It just, it does take time. It, do, it takes time to build a loyal audience. In most cases, it takes over 12 months, but it is absolutely more possible than ever before. You just have to go through the steps and really figure out an area that you, you do have something valuable to say to a differentiated audience with a differentiated story. It's not hard to do, but you have to go through the process. Yeah, that makes complete sense. You, um, have been a proponent of brands purchasing media companies for a long time. This seems like a match made in heaven, but I don't see it out there. You know, what should SaaS companies and brands been thinking about when they're trying to, you know, sort of fast track their audience? I, you know, this thing is not sticking yet, Seth. I've been preaching it for years. Um, we've been doing it. Uh, a lot of my friends have been doing it and being very successful at buying smaller media companies, blogging sites. It's, I think it's a question we all need to answer. I think it's a buyer build question. And I, I, there's a story that I tell, we were working with a very large brand in Singapore and they had, you know, 12, 13 particular audiences that they were trying to target. And we were going through each one and saying, okay, do we have a platform here or maybe we should go out and look and purchasing one. And we went through that whole process. You know how valuable that is? Yeah. Because they, cause it really is, a, it's like, oh, okay, here, the, here's this audience we're trying to target. And you know what? There's a couple really interesting blogs that have built a substantial audience that if we had that platform, it would fit perfectly. And you know what? It cost them, compared to the budget they have, it didn't cost them very much. And yeah. in a lot of cases, you can actually buy these things from bloggers because so what what goes what's happened with a lot of bloggers out there? A lot of bloggers have built a really amazing niche audience that's really valuable. They built email subscribers. They get that whole thing, but they haven't been able to monetize. Yeah. So you get somebody that understands how to monetize or already has a product or service that you can plug in there. Wow, that's like a match made in heaven. Now, I'm not saying it always works that way, but in almost every case, you can find somebody that's already doing what you want to do. So I think instead of spending the 12 to 15 to two months to two years and putting all the work in, which you can do, but you could also go out and partner or purchase another entity. And I think that in the next my predictions, my time, my predictions tend to be right, but the timing is always wrong because <laughs> it's always later or earlier, whatever. But I think in the next three years, you're going to see a ton of this. I, I really, cause I've been involved in the MA media side quite a bit. Yeah. And I think that, that the, the deals that are going to media companies right now are actually going to start going to brands because brands have so much money compared to media companies. I always use the example, Apple has some, what, 160 some billion dollars in cash sitting on the sidelines, they could buy the New York Times 70 times over and still have plenty enough, plenty of money to do anything they want. Think yeah. about that. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's the case in everything. I mean, you could, you could go down and look at any other decent sized company and the amount of money they have compared to a media company. And it's sad how much more a, a, a non-media company has. And that's where I think they'll, they'll start to really be smart. They're just not there yet because they're not set up for M&A, the, the content marketing folks, the marketing folks, the CMO, they're not used to doing that and they're used to buying it. But, you know, I mean, look at Adobe did that with CMO. Yeah. They were Omniture before then. They looked at that platform. L'Oreal did it with makeup.com. So I think you're going to start seeing more and more of this. I don't know when it's going to happen, Seth, but I, I know it's going to happen. You've, uh, you've made a few acquisitions over the last few years. Then you, you recently acquired the content marketing show from the site visibility folks. Was that about leveraging sort of a niche audience there? So we've, we've made three transactions over the past two years and they've all been done for, for different reasons. Um, so intelligent content conference was purchased just like what we were talking about. We wanted to get into this area of more technical, scalable content. We didn't have that platform and we thought, okay, well, instead of cre- creating it, maybe more sense, be more sense to purchase that. And it was, it's been a highly successful purchase for us so far. We're looking for really big things in for that event in March. So that was one. The second one was the Content Marketing Awards, which fits perfectly with our entire platform. We partnered on that for years, but now that we have that platform, it just it, it integrates so well with the event. It's a great revenue stream in and of itself, but the fact that it integrates so well with the magazine and with the event that we have, it's fantastic. And then with Content Marketing Show, as you said, we 
our international strategy has completely changed because I was at this years ago, I thought, oh man, we could do content marketing world in, in Paris and London and we can have them all over the world like like ad tech. And then I started to do more research and said, that's a terrible idea. Because <laughs> when you really look at the financials behind that, it's not very good. It usually does not work. But we need an international presence. So our international presence will not be through physical events. They'll be through virtual opportunities. And that's where we said, oh, okay, well, the content marketing show in London already has a presence, already a very successful brand there. Why don't we leverage that audience? So we purchased that. We, we got a built-in audience there for that that we did not have. So that's great. That would have been successful in and of itself just to purchase the subscriber list. But now we turn that physical event into a virtual show. So it'll be a virtual show focused on content marketing measurement, focused on European time. So we're not going to do it for you know during U.S. time. We'll do it during European time. We've got more European case studies and, uh, and trying to go that route. And so if I see other opportunities like that, I'm always on the lookout I mean, we've got a session of Content Marketing World this year just on buy it or build it because I think it's that important and we need to have people that understand that there's opportunities there. That's great. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about marketing strategy. It's something that you and Robert talk about a lot on the podcast. Um, I think it's it's something that I think that there's a lot of confusion about. Like To you, what is a marketing strategy? What is a marketing strategy? Are you talking about a content marketing strategy yeah, con- or a marketing no, strategy? Let's talk, let's stay focused on content marketing. What is a content marketing strategy? So, well, the short thing, I think content marketing strategy can be your marketing strategy, but I'm going to put that to the side because that's a totally different podcast. Uh, <laughs> the, the content marketing strategy is all about how can we add amazing value and an experience to our customers ongoing that has nothing to do with our product and service that we sell. Very hard thing to think about for most companies. Because if you think about, oh, I just have a product or service. Well, how often are you adding value with that product or service? Probably not very often. So how do we cut through all the clutter on a continuous basis and add value to our customers so that we're creating better customers? And Robert Rose says this all the time. I love this. He says, really, what we want to do with content marketing is create better customers, customers that stay longer, customers that end up buying more. You can't do that through being better in your product. You have to be different. And that's where I think you can be different in your communication. So if you look at, okay, what's my strategy around that? You might have an overall content marketing strategy and then very particular deployments of that content marketing, depending on how many audiences you have. So I could make a case, Seth, that if you have 10 different audiences that you're going to target, that you have 10 concurrent content marketing strategies going on. Because each one, if you have to think of it like a media company, each one is a different audience. Each one has different informational needs and pain points. Each one of them you're going to tell a differentiated story to. And that's very hard for most brands to do because most of us communicate one way to all of our customers. So this is a very, very different thing. Now, let me give you the example of how I would look at it if you're getting confused there. Look at what Huffington Post did. So here's a media company that now has like, I don't know, you probably know better than I do, 200, 250 different blogs on that site. I know, it's crazy, right? right? Isn't it crazy how they've grown? So they've, whatever, they sold to AOL, which is now part of Verizon, and they're worth a half a billion dollars or whatever. They started with one blog, one blog going to one particular group of people with one editorial mission statement with focusing on value around that area ongoing. And then they became very successful at that. And then they launched the second one and then they launched the third one. And now we're at 250. And now you see how popular and successful they are. So it's interesting to see how that works and how you can work that for your own business. Now, if you're a small business, you just need, you can do one, you can start with one. And that's what we, we talk about is just because you have, let's say your business, a business company, you have seven to nine decision makers that you target that's in your, that, that are a part of the buying decision-making process. You, you might only have a content marketing program to one of those or two of those. Like for example, at Content Marketing Institute, we have nine audience personas that we've looked at, targeted, and we have written down, we've got names for, and we look at those people. We only have two programs. We have one for executives and one for the doers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. We, we basically say the other seven, you know what? We're not going to have formal programs to those. Because we're going to focus on these two because we only we have the resources right now to fo- be really great 
at these two. I'm not going to do something uh, partial at those other ones and not be great because we've got to be the best at our certain area to these two. So it's just that's I mean, I just very simple. Like ask yourself, ask yourself these three things, right? Who is the audience I'm trying to target? Ultimately, what's the differentiated story I'm trying to tell? What am I going to deliver? And what's the audience's outcome? This has nothing to do with what more products I need to sell. Ultimately, that's going to be part of the process. But right now we're talking about the audience, how you can make impact with that audience, how you can build an audience over time. And then your your big, you know, what is this in for what, what's in it for us? Then what's in it for you is once you develop a subscriber relationship, and this happens in almost every case we look at, we can start to analyze what the difference is between a subscriber and a non-subscriber. What does a subscriber do that's different from a behavioral standpoint? Do they stay longer? Do they buy more? Do they market for you? What do they do? Do they close quicker? You know, those types of things. And that's what we see happening. And they, and really what we're doing is what Robert Rose says. We're actually creating better customers. And then the tactics fall after that. Then you figure out how to execute on the strategy. Well, that's where most people start. That's the problem we're having right now in the entire industry because everybody starts with, we're going to do a blog. We're going to do an ebook. That's just the container. Yeah. That says it has nothing to do with the story we're going to tell or who we're going to target, all that other stuff. Like, for example, in, in the book, when we talk, in Content Inc., we talk about six steps. The first two steps are strategy. You have to do the first two steps before you get to building the base, which is the third step. That's where the content work comes in. That's when you define what's my content type. Is it audio? Is it video? Is it uh, is it textual? What's my content platform? Is it the website? Is it the blog? Is it iTunes? Is it YouTube? That's all secondary. Most people start there, and that's why if you start there, you're like, who cares? Yeah. Nobody. Who cares what it is? It's got to make an impact. You have to cut through the clutter. You've got to start at the beginning with at least some defined strategy. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I've told you this, but I love the podcast, uh, This Old Marketing. And it seems. Thank you. Yeah, it seems to really be working. I mean, I don't know the metrics on the inside, but, uh, you know, if I look at the comments and the reviews uh, and the feedback on Twitter, it's it's awesome. I, hey, I, I could, I'm hap, more than happy to share. I mean, when we started um, the first couple months, you know, we were getting five, 6,000 downloads, 7,000. We were like, but every week we seem to do better. I think the last month we'll be at 27, 28,000 downloads. We just passed 300,000 downloads. It's just, it's not for everyone. But if you're a marketing professional, especially in an enterprise, it's a and, and if you like our senses of humor, which is <laughs> which is a whole different thing. What's amazing is it just keeps growing and growing, and it's just that slow upward path. And I love to see that. Yeah. And sometimes we'll get really good press, so we'll be in a new list, and you'll hit a new delta, and then you start fresh again. But it's it's great. I mean, with, I mean, we actually it's a profitable venture in and of itself. We make money off it. We have a sponsor every episode. It works really well. We're just about to add a sponsorship uh, to the Content Inc. model as well. Um, yeah, I can't see it. And it's interesting. I mean, you you're start you're started with. I mean, are you starting with the podcast as sort of your platform or did yeah. you start? Yeah. So, so you're doing it the opposite of what we did. It's interesting. It, it's, it's, it seems easier to me if you build a platform through a blog and then you launch a podcast. But then like you and John Lee Dumas are good examples of, hey, you're going to build your podcast platform first and then backdoor it. This is the opposite of what we did. Yeah. So it's, it, you know what? It doesn't matter. That's why you can, you can figure out what platform makes the most sense for you. And then how are you going to build your audience on an ongoing basis? So yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting. I love podcasting. I think that we barely hit the, uh, hit any kind of potential with that yet because there's so much room to grow. Yeah. And, and as you know, is this, anybody can do this. This is not like, it's not like going to cost you an arm and a leg. It's maybe the least expensive of every type of uh, you know marketing tactic that you could possibly do. Yeah, I and the reason I chose the podcast first is one, I really like these interviews. I I actually learn something from the interviews, and so uh, it was that piece, the building of the relationship, and then also I don't do a traditional transcript. I actually write a post. So this is, you know, an inspiration for what I'll write about this particular episode. And then the podcast will be, you know, the atomization of this. Um, 
So that's, that was that's the only, cool. yeah, that that's, was the only reason cool. I did that. Well, see, but here, you know what? You had a strategy around it. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it's just, it, it's, that's what amazes me. It, I mean, it, it's very important, but it doesn't take, I always say, like somebody says, oh my God, I got to do a documented content marketing strategy. I say, now look, look, let's, you and I will go to the bar. We're going to scratch <laughs> it out on a cocktail napkin. That's better than what most companies do, yeah. which don't have any kind of documentation at all about what they're trying to do. And uh, you just have to, you just have to start somewhere with a high, I call it, a, and you know, from managing content marketing, we talk about the hypothesis a lot. You're making a hypothesis. You don't know for sure whether it's going to work. You think it's going to work. Then you test the hypothesis and then you alter your plan, depending on the feedback that you're getting in. And that's what you do with a content marketing strategy. Yeah. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about social. Um, so I totally understand and get the, you know, don't build on rented land, but I'd love to hear what platforms that you focus on and why you chose them. My main two platforms are Twitter and LinkedIn. Third is Facebook. Fourth is Instagram. So Twitter you know, that that's where I just continually try to share. I mean, it's interesting. My, my strategies have changed and you can change it once you build an audience. At first Twitter, I was all about sharing other people's content, getting on other people's radar, building relationships with influencers. Twitter is a great way to do that. When you tag other people, you're sharing their content, you're building a community around that. That's, that was where the work came in. And I didn't have, I wasn't known to anybody. So I'm like, well, how do I, how do I build these relationships with influencers? Twitter was a great way to do that. And, uh, cause I didn't have an audience at the time. This is 07, 08, 09. So I'm like, okay, so that's what we used, really used Twitter for. Now my strategy has changed quite a bit. Now I'm in almost full, I, I'm full in distribution and response mode. Yeah. I will distribute content almost exclusively. It's almost hideous from our different platforms that we have. I will like, you know, you'll send me a note and say, Hey, Joe, um, the, the podcast up and running or your, your post for this, I'll still share this out on Twitter. It has something to do with what we're trying to drive as an organization. And then everything else is thanking people or responding to questions on Twitter. Got it. So that's, that's how I use Twitter right now. But I had to build the audience first. You, I don't think you could do what I'm doing right now if you didn't have an audience, because you're going to be shooting out all kinds of your own content. Nobody's going to be listening. So yeah. it's just like, you've got no audience for that. Um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn being, being a LinkedIn influencer. Now, you know, I was one of the original LinkedIn influencers, which was great. And now everybody can do that. So, but you can publish on LinkedIn and build an audience on LinkedIn. I think it's fantastic to do that. Again, you're building, this is not a platform you're building, but if you can, leverage LinkedIn to publish your content, but then direct them back to an ebook or something that you can generate um, email addresses from. That's why I've loved SlideShare. SlideShare for years has been a great uh, subscription generator for us. Probably a third best over time where you get them. If they want to download your presentation, you can ask them, hey, do you like this content? Download here. That's worked really well. And then Facebook. Facebook is almost purely personal. So, and now, now don't get me wrong here. I have my business in everything I do. I've got my business hat on. And it's funny, my friends, you know, you, I'm sure you've got friends that <laughs> you're, you're idiot friends that know things about you that you don't want anybody else to know about. Exactly. You just, you go hang out with them. Well, they know that, you know, don't mess with Joe's social media accounts because you know, Joe's always got his business hat on. Now yeah. that said, I still share very personal things. I'll share stuff about my kids. I'll share stuff about, you know, we went to Kings Island with the kids and we're doing this and the vacation and whatnot, but it's still always guised around, is this helping to build the business? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's weird or not, but it's worked very, very well for us because nobody, you know, on Facebook, it's, nobody really cares about, oh, hey, here's five tips to do that on Facebook. They don't care. Yeah. But if I show me a picture of the boys and me before I go in and do an interview on Channel 3 News, people like that. Yeah. So it gets that more personal side. So it's worked really, really well. But again, our goal, like even at, for Content Marketing Institute, it's interesting when we have our channel strategy. We go down the list, right? We're looking at Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and we're all our strategy. Well, for almost everyone, the goal is drive email subscriptions. Yeah. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so there you there you go with that one. And then LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. I mean, I still so it's it's the same exact thing almost to Twitter, where I was using it to build audiences. I was using it to get connections. The first I would share other people's content, tag other people with that. Now I'm I've got a fairly large audience on LinkedIn, a lot of followers there. So now I'm in promotion mode. But that's where publishing on LinkedIn. I actually I'm working on a, a new post right now that will talk about some elements of Content Inc. because it's a really great promotional tool. Again, all educational always giving away free education, but ultimately, yes, there is a, uh, a, a goal at the end of the day to sell more books or to get people to sign up to the email newsletter or whatnot. So LinkedIn right now is all about publishing. And I think if you're looking at LinkedIn, you would say, look, am I going to leverage LinkedIn? Well, then maybe I should publish every two weeks. And this is what I talk about. So it's interesting when Twitter and Facebook and everything else really focused on Content Marketing Institute really focused on enterprise marketers of an audience. LinkedIn is where I broaden that because my connections on LinkedIn are much broader, much more small business focused. So that's where actually Content Inc. and what I'm talking about with the book fits really well in. So I will publish more about launching a business, more about startup, more about entrepreneurship. And I would never launch that on Content Marketing Institute because it's different audiences. That makes complete sense. Do you do you do duplicate content ever on LinkedIn? I've seen a lot of people do that. Well, they'll republish their blog post and attribute it, but I, uh, yeah, yes, no, yes, but not that you'd notice. Okay. So like I've done a few, most of the stuff that most of the things I've done on LinkedIn are, are, have been created before, but not on our content marketing Institute platform. So I've got a uh, you know, blog blog posts based on article or chapters from content Inc on there. Okay. Got it. So, so I, yes, it is duplicate, but not that anyone's seen in that form. I, what I don't like doing on LinkedIn and I cannot stand it when people do this is they'll do an abstract or they'll do the first part of their blog article and then says, get the rest of this on this blog. I'm like, Oh, come on. Don't do that. Just give me the whole piece of content. I don't care if you edit it or bridge it or whatever, but give me the whole piece and don't have me have to link over. And that's why that's what I have a problem with content curation. Yeah. Content curation done like that. I think we've seen the end of those days. I think that'll work in an email newsletter because you're not going to get the whole piece of content in an email necessarily. But I think if you're just creating content that is, here's two paragraphs and click for more, I, I think people want to go directly to the content and they don't want to be teased with, oh, oh now I got to click. Oh, don't do that to me. <laughs> I just don't think it works very well. Well, I think we're just too distracted. Like if you have to interrupt me to go someplace else, you're probably going to lose my attention. Exactly right. I mean, you make it more work for people. So just give them what they want right away. If you yeah. give them what they want right away as quick as possible and you get rid of all those hurdles, they're going to reward you at the end of the day. The difference is you just have to do it consistently. That's why going back to LinkedIn, if you're going to do something like that, don't just do it once in a while. Yeah. You know, really figure out, okay, I'm going to commit to LinkedIn once a month. Good. Just do what every great media company that has ever done. They've always produced consistent content. And that's what brands never do well. They're yeah. like, oh, well, whenever we can get to it. Or it's through, we're blogging three times a week, but we don't know what three days. I'm like, that's just lazy. That's, yeah, that's ludicrous. It's never going to work. Great media companies never, ever do this. It's like, you know, I, I don't know if you still get the paper. I guess still get the print paper on Sunday. When that paper's not there, I'm mad. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I, and then, I, and if it didn't come two weeks in a row, I'm probably just going to unsubscribe because it's no value anymore. That's how brands look at their content. They're just like, oh, it could just come whatever time. No, it can't. Go, yeah. It has to go at a certain time. Joe, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Where can folks find out more about you? So I'm at Joe Polizzi on Twitter. Uh, JoePolizzi.com is where I have all my speaking schedule and books and whatnot. The new book is Content-Inc.com. And if you don't want to spend money on the book and you want to find out more about it, I've got a free chapter there, a free ebook, the link to the podcast, everything is there. And then everything for the, the big business is uh, ContentMarketingInstitute.com. Awesome. This has been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon. Seth, hey, congratulations. And by the way, people should know that you are in the book. You, awesome. And, and, and uh, so you are an, an inspiration to me as well. So thank you, sir. Thanks so much. I will speak to you soon. Sounds good. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Craft of Marketing. If you like what you've heard here, I've got something that I want to send you. I've put together a free cheat sheet of marketing resources to use for personal branding. I'd been keeping all these private notes on the subject and decided to put together the ultimate guide to personal branding resources just for listeners like you. You can grab your free copy right now by going to craftofmarketing.com forward slash gift. And remember, everybody markets in some way or another, but it's the craft we bring to the table that makes a difference.